0: So today I'd like you to take your Bible, turn to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5, and you can just keep your Bible open to that portion of Scripture. I'm going to be using the NIV today, the New International Version, um, English Version, uh, so you can uh, follow along there if you want to. If you have a different version, I also encourage you to follow along because you can get different nuances that you you wouldn't if you uh, just get other ideas. But I want to speak today following a message that I brought two weeks ago. And this story in the Bible just kind of came to light after I had brought that message two weeks ago. Now, I don't want to quiz you and ask you what did I speak Two weeks ago, because most of us can't even remember what we had for breakfast today. But I'll just remind you that we are uh, looking at ways, roadways, for miracles to come into our life and miracles to come into our church. What is the atmosphere? What's the mood? What's the what would God call us to in order to let His miracles come? We declare each Sunday. Light of the nations where we believe the blind will see, the lame will walk, the captive set free. We believe it. And many of us have seen those miracles happen in our life. But there are seasons and places where miracles come suddenly and in intensity in certain places. And I, I pray for that here at Light of the Nations. And I've been asking the Lord, Lord, whatever the cost, I want more of you. I want more of you in our church. I want more of you for the people of our church to just lay hands on people and have them be healed. To to speak a word from God that would completely transform somebody's life. Where hope comes to the hopeless. (laughs) Help to the helpless. I am so eager for that. I'm so eager for that that I've uh, befriended a pastor who's up the street here in a church called Bridgeway. And he has agreed to come and bring his ministry team. We're going to hold a conference here, November 4th and 5th. It's a Friday night and all day Saturday. They're going to come, and we're going to meet right here in this facility, and we're going to be open to the Holy Spirit. An impartation is really what I'm asking the Lord for. An impartation of His power, into each and every one of our lives one thing that i've been reminded of again and again through this time is i don't have to have it all <laughs> you know there's this thing that that goes on in our minds it's like the pastor's supposed to know everything the pastor's supposed to be able to do everything and that would be a very limiting thing for our church if that were true if it's all up to the pastors then it's a very small circle of miraculous that that creates. But if each and every one in the house has an impartation of something from God, then the ripples go far further. The impact goes far greater. And also, it takes pressure off of me thinking, it all has to be, I have to be able to do everything. Because that's that's just a burden I can't carry. I, I can't do it. I don't have the capacity for that. Uh, But God knows how to do it in our church, and so we're going to seek Him, and we're going to find Him and find His ways. So one of the roadways to the miraculous that I've been speaking about is humility. What does the Bible say about those who are humble? Well, one thing he says, in contrast, as he said, God opposes the who? Proud. <laughs> God opposes the proud. But He gives grace to the humble. So if you want God against you, go ahead and be prideful. Go ahead and let that pride ring out. Let your ego grow, grow, grow. <laughs> and watch God just stick His hand right in your face and stop you. But you want to go far with God? Humility's the way. So that's why I'm bringing this message. And the, the message that we're looking at today, it's a wonderful story. I love it. It's got humor. It's got, it's got insight. It's got wisdom. And it shows us how God works. It shows us His way. It's just brilliant. And it's this story from 2 Kings chapter 5 of a man called Naaman. Now we pronounce it Naaman. Uh, Pastor Fees, how do you pronounce it? Naman, Okay, Naman, And it's got the two A's, and I think probably in Arabic it would be Naaman. Something like that. Do you know? You don't know, okay. Well, we're, we, uh, we know who we're talking about anyway right now. This man, Naaman, was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. Now that's up in Syria. He was a commander of this army, and he was a great man, it says, He was a great man in the sight of his master who was the king and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. Now, isn't that interesting? The Lord was giving victory to an enemy of Israel. You see, God used these opposing forces to conquer Israel because Israel had let go of God. And there was a vacuum in Israel. God had lifted his hand of blessing off and opened up the door for the enemy to come in. Boy, that should be a good lesson to you and me today. It's the vacuum, spiritual vacuum in our lives, in our city, in our families, in our country that will allow for the enemy to come in. If we let go of God, There's no hope for us. And that's true of us personally. It's true of our families. It's true of our cities and country. We've got to hold on to him. I struggled over the message this week, I want to say. I had prepared another message entirely. (laughs) And I had... Maybe I'll preach it sometime. I don't know. But I had completely prepared a different message that was on the importance of good government. And everybody that I talked to about it were going, eh, eh. I think people are tired of it right now. They're tired of it with all the political stuff going on, but I have just been feeling how important good government is. And I had some wonderful illustrations to show you, but you're just going to have to hold on to that. Uh, but a bad government, a poor government, a lack of leadership creates a vacuum that allows for evil to come in and in uh, in our lives we need to be full of the Holy Spirit full of God in order to protect us from that. well anyway, this king, this uh, leader commander Naaman says he was a valiant soldier, but he had a problem. it says he had leprosy. He had a skin disease. And it was something that was shameful. It was something that was probably painful or irritating at at least. And it was like his chink in his armor. He's a great man, a great warrior, a great this and that, and God had used him but he had this weakness that he couldn't do anything about. Have you uh, a weakness? Have you something? Do you have something in your life that's like, oh, that's the thing. I just can't, I can't deal with that. It's something I can't handle. Well, this story today should show us something about that. So this king, or this commander, uh <clears throat> had acquired a young girl from Israel. She was a slave girl. She had been captured, and that's what they did in those days. Armies would go in and they would capture people, men and women, boys and girls, and take them back to their country as slaves. It was a common thing, and so this king this this commander, Naaman, he had a slave girl from Israel, and the slaves would actually serve in the homes and actually become part of the families and The relationships weren't always bad; it wasn't like you'd horrible slave, and they'd beat them every day. That wasn't necessarily how life was done. The slaves were brought in and eventually became part of families, especially if they did a good job and and there was pleasantness in the relationship. And so one day this slave girl, she knows about Naaman's leprosy, and she says to her mistress, to the wife, you know, it's too bad that... uh Naaman can't go to Israel because there's a man of God there who could heal him. And he could be healed in Israel. Well, the wife heard this message and took it to her husband and told him the news. Now, I want to point out a major thing here. The news of the healing, the potential healing for Naaman, comes through a slave girl. The way God brings a message to you and me might be in a completely unexpected way. Most of us would like, okay, God, you want me to do something, would you please write it up in the sky and make it nice and clear for me to know? But you know what? He he might send you somebody you don't even think about, they're kind of inconsequential in your life, and through them, those low, insignificant people, God will tap you on the shoulder and say, I've got a message for you. (laughs) God can speak through anybody, can't He? God can speak to you through anybody. And most likely, when God speaks to you, He's going to want to speak to you in a way that brings your pride down. Now, Naaman was a very proud man. And he was, I'm sure, he felt worthy of his pride. Hey, I've conquered lands. I've conquered people. I'm wealthy. I've done a lot. My king loves me. I'm an important guy. But the Lord decided to bring a message to him through a slave girl who was his property. Not somebody big and important. So I wonder how many times we miss a message from God because it comes through an insignificant messenger. Can anybody say amen? Good point, Pastor Andy. Wow, never thought of that before. Huh, I'm going to pay more attention now. (laughs) All right. So Naaman heard this news and he went to his king. And he told him what the girl from Israel had said. Basically, he's looking for permission from his king. Can I go to Israel and figure this out? And so the king says, you know what, I'm going to help you. The king wrote a note, and this is funny to me. The king wrote a note to the king of Israel, who was not a godly person. We don't know actually who this king was, but the kings of Israel were not good people. They were idolaters, they were selfish, and they were brutal. And the king of Israel, uh, the king of uh, Syria, writes this note to the king of Israel, and he says, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him a lot of money, all this silver, gold, and sets of clothing. And the letter that he took to the king of Israel said this. It was a short little letter, and it said, With this letter... I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. (laughs) I just think that's so funny. This king has no clue what to do. And it's really funny because in verse 7, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why did this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See, he's trying to pick a fight with me. The king of Israel is just terrified of this note. Now, I want to point out to you, the heroes of this story are the servants. The kings don't have a clue. It's the servants who understand and who tell people what to do. So I want to ask you a question today. Who are you in this story? (laughs) I want to suggest to you, you're the servants. You are the servants who have the word from God and have the knowledge and can tell people. You can tell the proud man what he needs. Well, here's the king of Israel just ripping his clothes. He's so frustrated and upset. He doesn't know what to do. And everybody in the leadership of Israel would have understood this. And the word would go out. Hey, the king's ripping up his robe. The king's ripping. Now that's a sign of terrible grief, a terrible sorrow, terrible frustration. The king's ripping his robe. The word went out through the countryside. The king's ripping his robe. What's going on? What's going on? The word finally comes to Elisha the prophet, who was living not too far from there. And the word comes to Elisha and he He's the man of God, verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robe, he sent him a message. He sent a message. (laughs) Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. Oh man, what a good word. What a good word. I I want to be able to say that word. You meet somebody who's in terrible frustration and pain in their life, and they're looking for you to help. And you can say, hey, God is alive today. God is here. Come to church with me. Let's go see what God has to say about it. Come get prayer. Come get a healing. Come get what you need. I want God's Spirit to be here to answer to those things as they come. Hallelujah. So there's a man There's a man of God in town. Elijah said, (laughs) send the man to me and the word's going to get out. There is God in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. He got good directions and he drove up to Elisha's house. And then there's something about this story. I've read this story probably a hundred times in my life. And there's something here that I hadn't ever noticed before. It's really interesting. He drives his chariot up to Elisha's home. And verse 10, Elisha sent a message to him saying, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored. I had never noticed before that Elisha didn't even come out of his house. Man, can you imagine? This is a proud man. He expects some service around here. He could he could cut off a bunch of heads if he wanted to. Elijah didn't even come out of his house. And I'm sure there was a plan behind that. What was the plan? Naaman is a prideful man. He needs to humble himself if he's going to get this healing. So Elisha doesn't even, the man of God, the man of the hour, doesn't even come out of his house. He sends a servant with a message. Tell Naaman this. Wow, you know, I wonder. Pride is a very heavy thing. Pride makes us blind. Pride makes us angry. Pride makes us feel superior to everybody else. Pride keeps us from seeing reality. And Naaman had to be taken down. First, it's a servant girl. Then he goes to the king. The king says, I can't help you. Go see Elisha. He goes down. He keeps going down. He probably felt like, hey, king, I want to be healed. Go bring your man of God over here and have him heal me in the palace. But he had to go over to the man of God and then the guy didn't even come out of his house. I don't think I'd have the guts to be like Elisha to say, you know, I'm not going to go see him. Go tell him this is what he (laughs) needs to do. Man, it takes courage to be the prophet of God there. So, we see what happens to Naaman. What happens when your pride gets jostled? You get angry. Look at Naaman's response here. But Naaman, he left immediately. He went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his God and wave his hand over my skin, over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Naaman had this vision. This, this, uh, not a vision from God, but this picture, this image of what he thought was supposed to happen. And, uh, and, and it didn't happen that way. You ever run into that problem? You have this great idea of what God is supposed to do in your life. <laughs> and it just doesn't go that way. God takes you on a completely different way. Well, anyway. And then he goes on to say, okay, he didn't even come out of this house to say hi and pray over me or anything. And then he has the nerve to tell me to go to the Jordan River. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Naaman is superior, superior, superior tell me to go to the Jordan. I'll go wash in another river instead. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And then in in the end of this verse 12, he says, so he turned and went off in a rage. Now, I'm amazed at this story. Naaman had the power. He had all the power right there to lose his miracle. If his rage took over him to where he couldn't listen, he couldn't see, he couldn't do what he needed to do for his miracle. He was so full of rage, full of his own power. When we experience the miraculous in our life, it doesn't always happen the way we envision it. When I was... Nine years old, in Ethiopia, my left arm hemorrhaged. I'd had a surgery about a couple of months before that, maybe three months before, where they tried to fix the problem that was in my arm. And it turned out that that operation made it worse. And I've shared this story with some of you, but the doctor, as he was working on my arm, actually cut some nerves so that my wrist no longer worked. I couldn't do this. I just had my wrist drop like that. So I'd walk around with my hand hanging down. It was, I could do this, but I couldn't do this. Now, for a boy of nine years old, that's kind of a big deal. Because when your hand's like this, you can't put a ball glove on and and catch a ball. You can't take a soccer ball and do a throw-in. You can't do the things that a healthy couldn't grab a bat. I mean, all the things that boys do in their uh, pre-adolescent, adolescent years, I, cu- I couldn't do those. I just had this hanging thing. And so it, w- it started. people would start to make fun of me and, and comments, you know, and made me feel embarrassed. Well, during that time, I was in boarding school in Addis Ababa, missionary kid. And the arm suddenly one night around one in the morning, it hemorrhaged. Blood vessels broke inside my arm and it swelled up to be about the size. If you can imagine a 10 year old boy's arm and it got to be about that big around. Looked like a football. It just phew, swelled up. And they took me in to the emergency, the, the, to a missionary doctor in Addis. And he didn't know what to do. Nobody knew what to do. Couldn't do anything. It's through that event that brought me and my family back to New York. And we settled there, and my dad set up his practice, his medical practice there. We had to leave the mission field because of what happened to my arm. Now, I put these pieces together uh, years later, because I thought that was just a big defeat. You know, well, God just didn't come through for us, you know. (laughs) Interestingly, it was just about two days before this hemorrhage where a group of Ethiopian leaders and pastors came to visit me and my parents. They laid hands on my arm and prayed for healing. They laid hands on my arm and prayed for healing, and then two days later I have this hemorrhage. Now that doesn't seem good, does it? That doesn't seem like God's doing His thing. But you know, (laughs) miracles sometimes come in very subtle ways. Because after that healed up, it took about a month or so. You know what I could do? I could do that with my left hand. I could do that. Now the arm was still bad. And it still was weak. And it still was somewhat painful. But I could do this. And I went into sports. I played Little League, learned how to play American baseball, and all that I played over there was soccer, you know. Played soccer, played sports, played trumpet. I almost majored in trumpet in college. I I loved doing those things. And it couldn't have happened if that little miracle hadn't have happened. So when I was 19, and this is a much longer story here, my arm did have to be amputated. But God has been with me all along the way. And I learned something through that. Miracles don't always look the way you expect them to. God will come and do something in a different way. And he'll get your attention. It actually changed the course of my life. My arm did. And I am ai promise you, (laughs) I'm a different person today than I would have been if I had just had a perfect arm and never had that. I would not be a pastor, I can tell you that. I don't even know if I would be following God because my arm made me desperate for God. Now, I'm glad that I'm following God today. I'm not glad that I had all that pain. I'm not glad that I have to have my arm amputated and and look different than everybody and all that. But I'm certainly glad that I'm following Jesus today. And God used that to change the course of my life. Sometimes our miracles come in different kinds of packages. It doesn't always look the way that we want it to. Naaman had his idea of the way that the miracle was supposed to come. And he needed to be humble in order for him to receive the miracle. He was too full of ego to receive the miracle God had for him. I wrote this down. The measure to which you are willing to humble yourself is the measure to which you will see God move in your life. The measure to which you are willing to humble yourself is the measure to which you will see God move in your life. I believe that about myself. And so every day I'm saying, Lord, humble me. Lord, I want more of you. I am not satisfied with just a little bit, I want more, more, more of you. Whatever the cost, I want more. I want more of you. Another thing that blocks or restricts the amount of uh, God's blessing and God's working in our lives is our restrictions that we put on Him. Well, God, you've got to come to me in such and such a way. You know, let's have the man of God come out, wave his hand over my sickness and watch that go away. <laughs> and God says, no, you know what I want you to do is go wash yourself in the muddy Jordan River. No, not any other river. That's the one you got to go into. The Jordan River. So, Jordan, ha- uh, Naaman has the power to lose his miracle right now you know God's not going to force you? (laughs) God's not going to force you to receive the miracle He has for you. If you are intent and insistent on your pride, you're going to miss it. I really believe that. So I don't want to miss it. But God is faithful. You know why? He sends us these servants who tell us what we need to hear. Look at this verse. This is wonderful. Naaman's servants went to him. Now, if this man Naaman's all in a rage, they probably need to give him a little space. He'd probably have to blow off steam for a while, jump in his chariot and go riding for a couple miles. But it says the servants came after him, and they came to him and said to him, with respect, my father. You know, when Fe says to me, my, He's my father, I'm going to change my name to Ikanga Miller. Man, that just makes me feel so happy, you know? That really does. That respect makes people feel happy. So I just want to say, as servants of God, you and me, we need to go to people with respect. Because people are so full of pride, they need somebody who's going to show them respect in order to just unblock their ears to hear the message God has. We have to go with respect, otherwise people won't hear us. My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So, the servants, again, how did he hear about this in the first place? Through a servant girl. And now he's about to lose his miracle. Who comes to him? A servant—that's you and me. We need to be the guys who go to the prideful ones and bring the message, bring the message of God humbly. If you were supposed to go, like conquer a country, you would have done that. If that's what the prophet said, go conquer the the neighboring country and bring all the leaders' heads back on a cart. He would have—he could have done that. But no, go wash in the river. So, verse 14, we don't get to see Naaman's struggle. He just, he's this raging guy, all angry. And then in verse 14, so, he goes. Now that, that takes some, that takes some credit. I gotta hand it to Naaman. He just said, okay. Maybe he struggled, maybe a day, maybe two, maybe an hour, maybe five minutes. But that period of time is the period of time it takes to get ready for your miracle. We need to get ready for what God has. So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan several times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored. And he became clean like that of a young boy. You know, God's miracles are powerful and real. And we need to open ourselves to their power. Here's a grown man who gets the skin of a young boy. I'm open to God's miracles. I'm ready for Him. I'm ready for Him. I'm ready for Him to heal that cancer. I'm ready for Him to heal those eyes, open up the deaf ears of some ancient person. In fact, I need to go to my mom and dad and just pray over their ears that they can start hearing. <laughs> you know, God does miracles. And, and it's not just in young people. It can be in old people too. God does miracles, and we need to posture ourselves for His miraculous working. So, he was healed, and then Naaman, he's a changed man now, he's healed, but he also wants to go and say thanks. So Naaman and all his attendants went back, verse 15, to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except Israel. Now that's the real miracle right there. It isn't just that he got his skin healed. It's like, I have found the real one. This is reality. This is reality right here. There is no God in all the world except in Israel. And he wanted to show gratitude to Elisha. Now, I thought about this a little bit. He wanted to give these million dollar worth of thanks to Elisha. And Elisha said no. Now I wonder why. There's probably several reasons. But one is he he wanted to say thank you and he wanted to bless and almost like pay for his miracle. And God says, no, we're not doing that. You cannot pay for a miracle. You cannot pay for a miracle. Uh, what you're getting is a gift from God. And that's that's the grace of God. The miracles we receive are His gifts. They're His gifts. We give ourselves to Him. He gives everything to us. Praise His name. You cannot pay for a miracle from God. The prophet says, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him he refused. It's interesting, Elijah came out for that. Elisha. He came out of his house to talk to Naaman. That's the first time they talked. After the miracle had happened. Elisha comes out and they have this they have this interchange. Now, I want you to know something. There are lots of false prophets. There, are lot, there were lots of false prophets in that day. There are still false prophets today. And you know what they want? They want money and prestige. They want to be noticed. They want you to think, oh, great pastor, great leader. And they want the money. And you can tell when their focus is on the money, it's another thing going on there. Elisha says, I'm not doing the work of God for money. (coughs) That isn't why we do it. And and e- and Elisha never wanted Naaman to think his money had anything to do with the miracle it was a complete gift from god amen so that's how we need to function in our lives so naaman says okay if you will not then basically naaman says if you're not going to give me and let me give you this stuff then i need to ask you for something else and this is another uh, uh, testimony of Naaman, the miraculous thing that happened in Naaman's life. He says, let me take as much of the dirt of your ground here that I can take. And I'm gonna take it back to Syria. Because I never want to worship another God again. So you see, in his mind, and this is, you know, we can't like, uh, filter through the, the pagan thoughts that Naaman might have, the, the intent of his heart was, I wanna take back this dirt so I can worship the real God. I will set up some kind of a thing where I will worship God back in Syria. So I'm taking dirt from this country. So instead of Naaman actually being able to give anything, he had to take more. He had to take more grace to go back to his country. That's showing his humility. He couldn't say, Oh, Elisha, here's a million dollars. He couldn't allow his pride to go up again. He had to come humble himself and take the dirt back to his country. And he asked for the Lord's grace when he did that. There's a lot more in this story, but I want to just come in for a landing now. Now, who are the heroes of the story? The servants, right? Well, there was another servant. There's one more part of this story. A man named Gehazi, who was Elisha's servant. Now, Elisha probably had more than one. But Gehazi was his main servant. Gehazi says to himself, You know, this is ridiculous. Giving up on all that money? That's stupid. I'm not going to let that happen. So after Naaman leaves with all of his money and all of his people, Gehazi runs after him. And on the way, he's making up a story. I've got to get some of this money. I've got to get, I won't ask for too much. I'm not going to be greedy and ask for all of it. I'm going to just get some of it. And I'll make up a little story. And so he catches up with the chariot. Naaman sees him. He jumps down off the chariot. And he comes to the servant. Yeah, what's going on? Now, Naaman is a different guy. He came out of the chariot himself. Oh, Elisha wants something. Let me go. He didn't send one of his servants to go find out. He came down himself. Do you see how Naaman has changed? And Gehazi comes up and says, You know, just after you left, two prophets came and they're in terrible need. Uh, Elisha sent me after to just see if you could give, you know, not too much, just three thousand, three hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff instead of the million dollars. We'll just take a little bit. And uh and Naaman says, Of course, here, I'm gonna send you a couple of servants, I'll go back with you. Two men had to carry the silver plus the change of clothes back with Gehazi, back to the house and sent it back. And Gehazi hides the stuff in the house thinking Elisha doesn't know anything. Now, that's pretty stupid of Gehazi. Here's a man that knows everything. You can't hide anything from Elisha. And this guy's thinking he's going to hide it from, from Elisha. Elisha says, where have you been? I said, oh, nowhere. I've been here the whole time. What are you talking about? <laughs> and Elisha says, no, I know. I saw you. I saw you in my heart, in my mind's eye. I saw you running after Naaman, and I saw him come out of the chariot and give you that stuff. And just so you know that God is serious, You can't play games with God. The leprosy of Naaman is going to come upon you. Wow. It's a fearful thing to be a servant of God. It's a fearful thing. We cannot play around. God is a holy God, and we cannot mess around with Him and lie and present ourselves in a way that is deceitful, and seek to make our own gain. God's going to say, you want gain? All right, you keep that money, and you also get the leprosy too. Nothing in here says that Gehazi gave the money back, but now he needed it just to keep his own life going with leprosy. God is serious. We can't mess around. So church, I want to say, this is the pathway to the miraculous in our lives, to humble ourselves, to listen to the voice of God through whatever, through whichever servant he brings. That's our miracle. Now, you yourself have to be miracle bearers. You have to be the kind of people who will tell others, you know, why don't you just listen to what God says, and, and you're going to see your life changed. That disease will go away. That problem you have is going to change when you listen to him. We have to have the courage to be the servants, to go to the prideful one who's enraged and be able to say to them, why don't you just do what God says? It'll be so much better for everybody.